Welcome to the podcast from Church of the Nazarene. Please subscribe to this podcast for the latest updates and new episodes. And you can also search for the podcast on Apple Podcasts, Spotify, Stitcher, and Google Podcasts. We also invite you to join us each Sunday morning at 9 on our YouTube channel or Facebook Live. You can also join us in person at 9 or 1030 for our English services or 1145 for our Spanish service. We also invite you to join Celebrate Recovery every Monday night at 630. Thanks for listening. Good morning, church. How are we doing today? Well, aren't you glad this morning that we serve a Savior who is very much alive? And um, I enjoyed seeing the Van Trapp family up here this morning. Adrian with his two kids. That's beautiful, isn't it? Well, it's Thanksgiving Sunday, and um, we're in the middle of a series, and I got the privilege of preaching the very last part of it this morning. Um, You've heard a lot from me through the years, but not an awful lot from this place right here. I preach once in a while, and today's one of those days. And um, if you've been around, you know we're in a series that's four core beliefs that we have within the church. And today is the fourth part of it. Pastor Jared started the series with what we believe about Jesus, that he's the son of God and that he's the savior of the world. And the next week, Pastor Billy preached a sermon on what we call provenient grace. And provenient grace is the grace that God begins extending to us even while we were still sinners. And because God's not willing that any should perish, he seeks us out and he extends his grace to us to enable us to believe in him. And then last week, Pastor Adrian preached on sanctification, which is an act of God in the process through which he conforms us to his image. In sanctification, God deals with our natural bent towards self and sin that we all inherited from Adam. And in sanctification, God causes us to become more bent towards him and his holiness. Can we sin? Of course we can. But in sanctification, God makes it possible for us to resist temptation and to live a life of righteousness. And now today, I have the privilege of preaching what I think is the most exciting of all four of them. I'm excited about this because it's a topic that I think a lot about, and I study a lot. Um, For better or for worse, I preach a lot of funerals because of what I do now. So I think about this topic often. However, I would be negligent if I didn't at least say that without the first three core beliefs, this one wouldn't even be possible. If it wasn't for the fact that God sent his son, and through that, he can save us. If it wasn't for his provenient grace that draws us to himself, and if it wasn't for the sanctification where God makes us into his image, we would not be able to experience what comes next, and that's resurrection. Now, you may have thought it feels a little bit like Easter in here this morning, and that's because of Jesus' resurrection. And while we will talk about that this morning, we're not talking just about Jesus' resurrection. The real focus is the resurrection that we can all experience because of Jesus' resurrection. I get in a lot of conversations with people around here, and you know, we do this as people. Uh, we say, how you doing? Well, you know, i um, uh, got a lot of body aches, and they tell you kind of all about what's going on in your life. And I often will say this to people, says, You know there's a day coming when you're going to get a new body. And um, that's the good news of the gospel today. It's not just that Jesus saves us now, but we, in the resurrection, will get a new body. Now, I want to say at the very beginning of this today, I have, like, more material than I can probably ever hope to get through. I'm going to get through it somehow. So it may feel a little bit like drinking out of a fire hydrant this morning. 
And you're going to hear probably more of the word this morning than you hear of my words. Because the Bible is so rich in these topics that I have to go to just tons of scriptures. So just hang on tight, and we're going to jump in head first, and we are going to get through this together. The Church of the Nazarene has a statement about um, resurrection. It should be coming up on the screen. Let's read this together. We believe in the resurrection of the dead, that the bodies both of the just and of the unjust shall be raised to life and united with their spirits. They that have done good unto the resurrection of life, and they that have done evil unto the resurrection of damnation. And then you're familiar with probably what we call the Apostles' Creed. This was a creed that was developed very early in the church within the first couple hundred years, and it addresses this as well. So it's coming up on the screen. Let's just read this together as well. We believe in God the Father Almighty, maker of heaven and earth, and in Jesus Christ, his only Son, our Lord, who was conceived by the Holy Spirit, born of the Virgin Mary, suffered under Pontius Pilate, was crucified, dead, and buried. He descended into hell. The third day, he rose again from the dead. He ascended into heaven and sits at the right hand of God the Father Almighty. From there, he shall come to judge the living and the dead. We believe in the Holy Spirit, the Holy Church of Jesus Christ, the communion of saints, the forgiveness of sins, the resurrection of the body, and the life everlasting. So you can see at the end of the creed, the line, the resurrection of the body. Now, when you hear the term resurrection, the first thought you probably have is Easter, which I've already mentioned this morning. However, there is another aspect of resurrection that we don't often talk about. We address it in a roundabout way. When someone dies, we talk about eternity and what happens to us after we die. But we really don't talk about it a lot from a biblical viewpoint. What can we really expect after death? And what does the Bible really say? As I've already mentioned, Easter is the celebration of Jesus' resurrection, which we celebrate enthusiastically because without it, Jesus really becomes just like another religious leader who has lived and died. Other than the fact that Jesus was raised from the dead, what does resurrection mean for us now, today? So in this morning, I hope you will learn these three things. They'll be on the screen. Number one, Jesus' resurrection was necessary to guarantee us eternal life through our resurrection. Number two, Jesus' resurrection is a foretaste of what we can expect in our own resurrection. And finally, our resurrected bodies will be like Jesus' resurrected body. I want to start by saying that one of the biggest objections that non-believers have to Christianity is the resurrection of Jesus. Because naturally speaking, we all know that dead people don't rise again. Resurrection is impossible, but with God, all things are possible. However, for those who don't believe, this claim that Jesus was truly dead and was truly raised from the dead, it's an obstacle for many in their belief in having faith in Jesus. This has been true for many high-profile people through the years. You're probably familiar with the name C.S. Lewis. And uh, maybe also Josh McDowell, who is a more uh, recent person um, like that. And even more recent, a guy by the name of Lee Strobel. Now, Lee Strobel, um, well, he wrote a book called The Case of Christ. I highly recommend you read the book if this topic interests you. It's called The Case for Christ. Now, Lee was an atheist. And he was an investigative reporter for the Chicago Tribune. And when his atheist wife 
told him, I have now become a believer and I'm trusting in Jesus, he decided he would set out on a mission to prove that Jesus had never lived, that Jesus had never died, and Jesus had never resurrected. So he went out and he interviewed some of the greatest theologians of the day. And he finally got to the point where he realized the evidence for Jesus' resurrection was so overwhelming, it would require a greater faith for him to continue in his unbelief than for him to believe that Jesus truly had been resurrected. If you're not much into reading, you could also see there's a movie by the same title. I know you can stream it on Amazon. I know you can stream it on Pure Flix. Um, so you could go out there and watch it. It's a great story, a great book. Um, I encourage you to take part in it. But today, we're going to look at the claims of resurrection and see how they affect our own future. However, as I already mentioned, I can barely scratch the surface, so let's just dive right into this in deeper details today. The first truth we need to explore is the obvious connection between resurrection and eternal life. In John 3.16, very familiar verse, it says this, For God so loved the world that he gave his one and only Son, that whoever believes in him shall not perish but have eternal life. Ten times in the Gospel of John, Jesus uses the words eternal life. Jesus is contrasting two things here in this verse. Number one, he's contrasting perishing and eternal life. Perishing is the idea of being fully destroyed, to be lost. And eternal life is the idea of this perpetual, ongoing, everlasting life. The meaning's clear. Believing in Jesus reverses the natural state of things, which is being lost and destroyed, and it results in the opposite. It's this perpetual, never-ending life. Also in John the chapter 6, verse 40, Jesus says, For my Father's will is that everyone who looks to the Son and believes in him shall have eternal life, and I will raise them up at that last day. Now here Jesus, he reestablishes the fact that believing in him brings eternal life. But he begins to reveal how that's possible. Listen to what he says. He says, And I will raise them up. At that last day, Jesus is giving us a glimpse of what it is, what is to come. Raise them up seems to be an obvious reference to an event after death because he says it will happen at the last day. Jesus' listeners understood that everyone will die. So this raising up at the last day is a future event, a later resurrection. You go back one chapter in John chapter 5, Jesus says even more about it. He says, very truly I tell you, whoever hears my word and believes him who sent me has eternal life and will not be judged but has crossed over from death to life. Very truly I tell you, a time is coming and has now come when the dead will hear the voice of the Son of God and those who hear will live. For as the Father has life in himself, so he has granted the Son also to have life in himself. And he has given him authority to judge because he is the Son of Man. Now don't be amazed at this, for a time is coming when all who are in their graves will hear his voice and come out. Those who have done what is good will rise to live, and those who have done what is evil will rise to be condemned." Here, Jesus reconfirms that those who believe in him will have eternal life. But now he makes it clear about this future event that we call the great resurrection. He says a time is coming when all who are in their graves will hear his voice and come out. Jesus isn't teaching a new concept here. As a matter of fact, all the religious scholars that were listening to him, they knew what he was talking about. Because in Daniel 12, verse 2, here's what it says. Multitudes who sleep in the dust of the earth will awake, 
People who sleep in the dust don't awake, do they? But according to the word of God, this is what will happen for those of us who are in Christ. Multitudes who sleep in the dust of the earth will awake, some to everlasting life and others to shame and everlasting contempt. Now, it's clear that Jesus taught resurrection of the dead is something that those who believe in him would experience. And because Jesus experienced it himself and has already been raised up, we can be confident he knew this or he taught this with great authority. However, Jesus doesn't actually teach a lot more than what I've gone through already on the subject. So we want to go to the writings of Paul now in 1 Corinthians chapter 15. And this is really the main text for what we're going through today. Chapter 15, I'm going to start with verse 3 through 8 and then verses 12 through 23. It's a lot of scripture this morning. Let's look at this together. Paul says, For what I received, I passed on to you as of first importance, that Christ died for our sins according to the scriptures, that he was buried, that he was raised on the third day according to the scriptures, and that he appeared to Cephas, that's Peter, and then to the twelve, and after that, he appeared to more than 500 of the brothers and sisters at the same time, most of whom are still living, though some have fallen asleep. Then he appeared to James, then to all the apostles, and last of all, he appeared to me also. And now verse 12, he says, But if it is preached that Christ has been raised from the dead, how can some of you say that there is no resurrection of the dead? And if there is no resurrection of the dead, then not even Christ has been raised. And if Christ has not been raised, our preaching is useless, and so is your faith. More than that, we are then found to be false witnesses about God. For we have testified about God that he raised Christ from the dead. But he did not raise him if, in fact, the dead are not raised. For if the dead are not raised, then Christ has not been raised either. And if Christ has not been raised, your faith is futile. You are still in your sins. Then those who have fallen asleep in Christ are lost. If only for this life we have hope in Christ, we are of all people most to be pitied. But Christ has been indeed raised from the dead, the first fruits of those who have fallen asleep. For since death came through a man, the resurrection of the dead comes also through a man. For as in Adam all die, so in Christ all will be made alive. But each in turn, Christ the first fruits, then when he comes, those who belong to him. Now, some scholars believe that the first six verses, three through eight, it's one of the earliest creeds of the church. Now, we read what we call the Apostles' Creed together. But there's actually what we believe are creeds that are in the New Testament as well. Now, this creed may have been passed to the Corinthian church as early as 51 A.D. when Paul first visited Corinth. He says he received it from someone else. And we know in Galatians chapter 1, Paul relates after Three years after his conversion, he went up to Jerusalem to spend time with Peter and James. And many scholars believe when he was spending time there with Peter and James that they relayed this creed to him because he refers to it, say, this has been passed on to me. But we want to look a little closer at what he says in the first six verses. What does it say about Jesus' death and his resurrection? He says that Christ really died. It wasn't a fake death. You understand that like uh, Muslims have some belief in Jesus, but they believe that he didn't really die and the resurrection was fake. Paul says here Christ was buried in a tomb. Christ was raised on the third day. Christ appeared to Peter. Christ appeared to the 12. He appeared to the 500 followers at the same time. That's 500 people simultaneously that Jesus appeared to. 
Christ appeared to his brother James, who didn't believe in him before the resurrection. And then Christ appeared to all the apostles. And finally, Christ appeared to Paul. We're about to see how our future resurrection is completely contingent on Jesus' resurrection. But I want to take a short detour here this morning. Paul, he gives us nine examples right here and evidences of Christ's death, burial, and resurrection in this creed. But for some people, that's not good enough. They want more. They want more evidence. So I'm going to give you just a few things that kind of gives us a little more evidence today. Historians, when they like to dig deep into the scriptures and the history, they can see things that we don't just see on the surface. Here's three things that help give us evidence for the resurrection of Jesus. You know the story pretty well. You know that the resurrected Jesus made his first appearance to women. In the New Testament era, women did not have a very high standing in society. As a matter of fact, women could not testify in court because their testimony was not considered to be reliable. Women, aren't you glad that you don't live then? You live now. So if you were trying to concoct a story that Jesus had risen from the dead, the last thing that you would ever do is say that Jesus' first appearance was to women. If you were creating the story, you would say he appeared to some important people. Like, think about this. Because of what Jesus went through with the high priest and Caiaphas, don't you think this? if you were making up a story, you would say Jesus first appeared to Caiaphas or Jesus first appeared to Pilate. But no, he appeared to women which would be highly unlikely if you were concocting the story. The second thing is in the resurrection account in Matthew, the guards witnessed the rolling back of the stone of the tomb by the angel and saw that the body of Jesus was gone before the stone was rolled aside. So those guards, they went to the high priest to report what had happened. And the high priest and the council never attempted to dispute the facts that Jesus' body was missing. Instead, they paid the guards to tell an alternate story that Jesus' disciples came and stole the body. Matthew even says this story was still being circulated years later. So why is this important? Even though they concocted an alternative story, both the high priest and the guards, they both confirmed that Jesus' body was missing and it was never found. Another evidence. Finally, Jesus' closest disciples and his followers preached that Christ was raised from the dead. And all those disciples, except for John, were martyred for teaching this, as were many others. Now, it's possible that one, maybe two, would go promoting a lie and die for it. But what do you think the likelihood is that all the disciples would stand firm on what they believed, knowing that they were going to die for preaching it? The likelihood is almost impossible and it's another evidence for the resurrection. There's a lot more I could say on that. I can't prove to you the resurrection today, but it's helpful to know some evidences for it. So let's leave the detour and let's get back to the text. In verse 12 in Romans 15, I know it's a long passage, but let me just read you this again. It says, but if it is preached that Christ has been raised from the dead, how can some of you say that there is no resurrection of the dead? And if there is no resurrection of the dead, then not even Christ has been raised. And if Christ has not been raised, our preaching is useless, and so is your faith. You've heard me say all that before, and let me just skip a little bit ahead. In this passage, Paul, about six times, he manages to say that if Christ wasn't raised from the dead, we won't be raised for the dead. And if we're not raised from the dead, then Christ himself wasn't raised either, and we are a people that have no hope. But he goes on, and then in the very next part, Here's what he says. He says, but Christ has indeed been raised from the dead. 
the first fruits of those who have fallen asleep. For since death came through a man, the resurrection of the dead comes also through a man. For as in Adam all die, so in Christ all will be made alive. But each in turn, Christ, the first fruits, then when he comes, those who belong to him. Paul's very confident that Jesus has indeed been raised. And now he introduces yet another concept to help us understand the connection between Jesus' resurrection and our resurrection. After saying that Christ has been indeed raised from the dead, he says that this resurrection is the first fruits of those who have fallen asleep, those who have died in Christ. Now you may be wondering, what does first fruits mean? First fruits is an Old Testament idea. One of the offerings that the Israelites were commanded to bring to the temple was the first fruits offering, and this is exactly what it appears to be. When they had a harvest, they were to bring the very first of the harvest to the temple to offer it to the Lord. Now, this acknowledged several things. Number one, all the harvest came from God, and it belonged to him. The second was that it was an expression of their faith. Because you gave the first harvest to God, you were saying, I am trusting God that he will provide the rest of the harvest. Giving the first fruit was an acknowledgement that you believe something else would come after the first fruit. It was a guarantee of what was to come. And then finally, the first fruit offering, it consecrated the entire offering. So when Paul compares the death and resurrection of Jesus to the first fruits offering, he was saying that we have this guarantee that the rest of the harvest will come later. Well, guess what the rest of the harvest is? That's us, everyone here. We will participate in his resurrection by being resurrected as well. And just as sure as the first fruit, Jesus' resurrection was offered to God, so will the rest of the harvest, our resurrection, be offered to God. And now there's yet another correlation Paul makes to death and resurrection in this passage. He says, for since death came through a man, the resurrection of the dead comes also through a man. For as in Adam all die, so in Christ all will be made alive. Death entered the human experience through the rebellion of the man Adam. And the reversal of Adam's death, the reversal of death Adam's sin brought to us, will come yet through another man, Jesus. So in Adam, we all die. We all are spiritually dead. But in Christ, we will all be made alive. And now there remains yet a question of what our resurrected bodies will be like. Read a couple of scriptures. It tells us, gives us some idea what we can expect. 1 John 3, 2, here's what it says. Dear friends, now we are the children of God, and what will be has not yet been made known. But we know that when Christ appears, we shall be like him, for we will see him as he is. Think of that. We will be like him. Also in Philippians chapter 3, Paul says this, But our citizenship is in heaven, and we eagerly await a Savior from there, the Lord Jesus Christ, who by the power that enables him to bring everything under his control will transform our lowly bodies so that they will be like his glorious body. Because we will be like him, it begs the question, what was Jesus' resurrected body really like? Quickly, I want to look at three post-resurrection um, stories. It gives us a little bit of an idea. In the Matthew account, um, there were several women that went to see Jesus early that Easter morning. 
And when they did see him, when he appeared to them, the word tells us that they fell at his feet and they clasped his feet. So we know that Jesus is very touchable. The second one I want to mention to you comes from Luke chapter 24. You remember the story, Jesus had been resurrected, and there were two disciples, Cleopas and the others unnamed, and they're walking on the road to Emmaus. And in that story, Jesus, he walked with them, he carried on a long conversation with them, and he ate with them. When they realized who he was, he vanished out of their sight. Later in that same chapter, Jesus simply appeared among the disciples. He didn't walk through the door. He just appeared. Let me read for you just a little bit in verse 36 of Luke 24. It says, while they, the disciples, while they were still talking about this, Jesus himself stood among them and said, peace be with you. They were startled and frightened, thinking they had seen a ghost. He said to them, why are you troubled and why do doubts rise in your minds? Look at my hands and my feet. It is I myself. Touch me and see. A ghost does not have flesh and bones as you see I have. When he said this, he showed them his hands and feet. And while they still did not believe it because of joy and amazement, he asked them, Do you have anything to eat? And they gave him a piece of broiled fish, and he took it and ate it in their presence. And then the last one I want to tell you is the follow-up to it from the Gospel of John. Now, Thomas was not present when that story just happened. And Thomas, he refused to believe. So in John chapter 6, here's what we read. Now, Thomas, one of the twelve, was not with the disciples when Jesus came. So the other disciples told him, we have seen the Lord. But he said to them, unless I see the nail marks in his hands and put my finger where the nails were and put my hand into his side, I will not believe. A week later, his disciples were in the house again and Thomas was with them. Though the doors were locked, Jesus came and stood among them and said, peace be with you. Then he said to Thomas, put your finger here. See my hands? Reach out your hand and put it in my side. Stop doubting and believe. Thomas said to him, my Lord and my God. Then Jesus told him, because you have seen me, you have believed. But blessed are those who have not seen and yet believe. So we see here three examples of what Jesus' resurrected body was like. It was real. It was touchable. And Thomas touched the scars in his hands and his side. Jesus was still hungry and needed to eat, and yet it was also a body that seemed to not be limited to physical barriers such as walls. He just simply appeared among them. We don't know that we'll be exactly like the resurrected, glorified Christ, but we know that we will be like him when we see him face to face. Later in the same chapter we've been looking at, 1 Corinthians 15, Paul says a few things about what our resurrected bodies will be like. In verse 35, he says this, But someone will ask, how are the dead raised? What kind of body will they come? How foolish. What you sow does not come to life unless it dies. And what you sow, you do not plant the body that will be, but just a seed, perhaps of wheat or of something else. But God gives it a body as he has determined, and to each kind of seed he gives its own body. Now here Paul helps us understand that our body, when it dies, becomes the seed that is planted and resurrected. Because seed produces after its own kind, we understand that our resurrected body will be very similar to our earthly body, 
But in that, it'll be the same person. It'll be us. And we will be known in eternity as we were known here on earth. But Paul goes on. He says, so will it be with the resurrection of the dead. The body that is sown is perishable, but it is raised imperishable. It is sown in dishonor, but it is raised in glory. It is sown in weakness, and it is raised in power. It is sown a natural body, but it's raised a spiritual body. And if there is a natural body, there is also a spiritual body. So it is written, the first man, Adam, became a living being. The last Adam, a life-giving spirit. The spiritual did not come first, but the natural. And after that, the spiritual. The first man was of the dust of the earth. The second man is of heaven. As was the earthly man, so are those who are of the earth. And as is the heavenly man, so also are those who are of heaven. And just as we have borne the image of the earthly man, Adam, he says, so shall we bear the image of the heavenly man, Jesus. I declare to you, brothers and sisters, that flesh and blood, these earthly bodies as they are now, that flesh and blood cannot inherit the kingdom of God, nor does the perishable inherit the imperishable. Instead, I tell you a mystery. We will not all sleep, but we will all be changed in a flash, in the twinkling of an eye at the last trumpet. For the trumpet will sound and the dead will be raised imperishable, and we will all be changed. (laughs) This is good news. For the perishable must clothe itself with the imperishable, and the mortal will clothe itself with immortality. When the perishable has been clothed with the imperishable and the mortal with immortality, then the saying that is written will come true. Death has been swallowed up in victory. Where, O death, is your victory? Where, O death, is your sting? The sting of death is sin, and the power of sin is the law. But thanks be to God who gives us the victory through our Lord Jesus Christ. Can I get an amen? Last Sunday when Adrian preached on sanctification, he read from uh, Romans chapter 6. If you go on just a little bit further in the same chapter, Paul says this. Don't you know that all of us who were baptized into Christ were baptized into his death? If we're going to experience Jesus' resurrection, we have to also come into his death. And baptism shows us how when we go into the water, we are going into and identifying with the death of Jesus. But then we come out of the water, and that's important. We were therefore buried with him through baptism into death in order that just as Christ was raised from the dead through the glory of the Father, we too may have new life. Now listen to this. This is important. For if we have been united with him in a death like his, we will certainly be united with him in a resurrection like his. (laughs) A resurrection like his. When will this happen? Remember we read Jesus' words when he said God will raise those up who believe in him at the last day. But when is the last day? Paul answers this question in 1 Thessalonians chapter 4. Here's what he says. Brothers and sisters, we do not want you to be uninformed about those who sleep in death so that you do not grieve like the rest of mankind who have no hope. For if we believe that Jesus died and rose again, and so we believe that God will bring with Jesus those who have fallen asleep in him. According to the Lord's word, we tell you that we who are still alive, who are left until the coming of the Lord, will certainly not precede those who have fallen asleep. For the Lord himself will come down from heaven with a loud command and with the voice of the archangel and with the trumpet call of God. And the dead in Christ will rise first. 
And after that, we who are still alive and are left will be caught up together with them in the clouds to meet the Lord in the air. And so will we be forever with the Lord. Therefore, encourage one another with these words. The band's coming back so we can wrap this all up today. There's a great day coming when all will be resurrected and then judged according to our faith in Christ and how we lived our life. Believing in the resurrection, it's not good enough. The only way you will have eternal life is if you believe in God and in his son, Jesus Christ. Jesus spoke directly to this in John chapter 11, immediately before he raised Lazarus from the dead. He had this following conversation with Martha. Jesus said to her, your brother will rise again. And Martha answered, I know he will rise again in the resurrection at the last day. But Jesus said to her, I am the resurrection and the life. The one who believes in me will live even though they die. And whoever lives by believing in me will never die. Do you believe this? That is the question today. Do you believe this? In about a half an hour, there's not enough words I can say to persuade you to believe in Jesus' resurrection or in your own resurrection yet to come. But today I pray that you will believe because unless you do, you will not experience the resurrection that leads to eternal life. The Bible teaches us that we will all be raised. But those who haven't believed in Christ will be raised to an eternal spiritual death, eternal separation from God. So there's really two takeaways from what we've talked about here this morning. If you are in Christ, because you believe in him, the resurrection for you is a most precious hope. But if you don't believe in Christ, resurrection is a most dreaded reality. But today, today is the day of salvation. As we sing this final song today, there's two possible responses. Number one, if you are in Christ, this song should be a moment of rejoicing for you. But if you've not yet trusted in Christ, you can do that now as the song is sung. So that the resurrection for you will not be a dreaded reality, but it will be a blessed hope. So let's stand together and let's sing this song. Um, If you listen to the radio, I'm sure you heard this song. It's called the Hymn of Heaven. And when I heard this, like this is the perfect conclusion to what we talked about today. It talks about how we will spend eternity in heaven with Him. Let's pray. Heavenly Father, I pray today that you will just mold this truth to our hearts. It's a truth of hope that you have given us. So today, as we sing this last song, I pray that many, most in the room, for them it will be a time of rejoicing. But Lord, if there's people in this room today who have not yet believed in you and in your Son and the salvation that he brings, I pray as we sing this, that they will put their trust in you. In Jesus' name, amen. Thank you so much for listening today. Go ahead and subscribe to our channel for updates and new episodes. And if you have any questions about our church or ministries, go ahead and email us at info at cotnaz.org.